Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. The signals are telling me that the U.S. economy is re-accelerating. Welcome to this edition of Steno Signals. My name is Andrea Steno, and uh, I'm glad to be back here at the platform week in and week out with my macro views and uh, also ultimately a discussion on how to trade these macro views. This theme of a re-acceleration of the U.S. economy is one that has been basically been discussed over the course of the autumn at Real Vision. Um, and I think uh, Raul Powell has been on top of this re-acceleration in the liquidity and macro cycle that we've seen lately. Uh, so I'll spend some time today on elaborating why we see this re-acceleration of the economic cycle and whether it will wreak havoc with the views of the U.S. Federal Reserve, are they expecting growth to decelerate here? And uh, will this reacceleration of the cycle wreak havoc with their plans to cut interest rates? I guess that's one of the key questions for 2024 now. But if we look at the gross domestic product um, of the United States, we've had two consecutive quarters of substantial positive surprises. Both the third and the fourth quarter basically delivered extreme growth, in my humble opinion, relative to expectations. And it seems like the economy is actually accelerating even from that outset into 2024. If we look at a couple of indicators of why that is, um, first of all, we have an explosion, um, basically in, in outright terms, in the exports of semis from Korea to the US. Uh, if we look at the shipments of semis from South Korea, one of the uh, large suppliers of semis globally, we see a large increase year on year. That's what you see in the dark blue uh, line here. And typically that is a strong but early signal that the manufacturing cycle is actually improving in the uh, US economy. Why do we see such cyclicality in semis? Well, uh, semiconductors are cyclical. Um, as a consequence of the whole uh, semiconductor space being cyclical of nature. Uh, and when there is an increase in demand for semis, it's typically a sign that the overall economy is improving from a cyclical perspective. When we look at semis right now, it's obviously at least partially related to the boom within AI. But even if AI is booming, we should still expect semis to act cyclical uh, from a macro perspective. So when we see a pickup in the activity of semis, it's both a strong signal that the AI wave is, is still ongoing, but it's also a signal that the US economy is gaining pace rather than the opposite. If we look at what the manufacturing companies, um, what they're telling us right now, if we look at their order books relative to the size of their inventories, 
we now see an improving ratio between the two again. Um, and orders books have been pretty depressed through the autumn, but we now see the early signs of a pickup um, in the size of orders relative to uh, what they already have in, uh, at inventory. I think that's a strong signal uh, of upcoming activity. Uh, this ratio is a very strong gauge of activity, say three, four, five months ahead. And uh, we now see convincing signals that we're past the bottom in the manufacturing sector. And um, well, needless to say, the manufacturing sector has struggled for, for most parts of 2023, but we're now past the worst part here. And that is the ultimate signal that the uh, US economy is actually gaining pace from a uh, cyclical perspective. Over the course of the past week, we also received uh, the so-called SLUS survey conducted by the Federal Reserve. Um, they ask banks and credit institutions once a quarter uh, around the standards for credit and uh, also uh, around the demand side uh, in the credit equation. And uh, this chart uh, is basically a measure of the demand for loans in the economy in dark blue relative to a live measure of uh, financial conditions in the U.S. economy in light blue. And what we've seen essentially since Powell pivoted in, uh, in Q4 of uh, 23 is a material easing of financial conditions in the U.S. economy. Typically, what we see with a time lag is an increase in the demand for loans, even demand for loans within the commercial real estate sector, for example as a consequence of these easier terms. And we now see that um, materializing in the SLU survey. We see uh, less tight standards um, for credit. We see a slight pickup in the demand for loans. So again, here, from a sequential perspective, we're now moving in the right direction. Uh, and that is uh, very interesting, given that uh, most people probably anticipated that uh, first quarter here would still be weak in, in the U.S. economy. And some people even uh, discussed whether we would have a recession in 24 uh, through uh, the latter parts of last year. But having said that, I mean, it's it's crystal clear that the economy is, is actually improving here. Are the numbers that we've seen so far in January actually a fair reflection of what's ongoing in the U.S. economy? My take would be no. Um, we obviously had a very strong job report last week. Uh, we had a very strong uh, survey from the service sector, uh, from the Institute of Supply Management. But I'd like to show you one chart uh, showing sort of the seasonal patterns uh, and the way that the um, statistical bureaus of the United States conduct uh, seasonal adjustments. So this bar chart um, shows whether a month is artificially helped by seasonal adjustments. In such case, we will have a positive bar or vice versa uh, with a, a negative bar. Uh, and January typically receives a bit more help than it should um, in these seasonal adjustments, especially in the non-farm payrolls. Uh, so these numbers seen in January, they are indeed positive, but they are not as positive as they look on the surface. And as you can see here, we have a pretty pretty clear divergence between the first half of the year and the second half of the year in this chart. So the first half of the year uh, typically sees positivity due to, due to seasonal patterns, while we see the opposite in the second half of the year. Um, this is among other things, a result of the so-called COLA adjustments uh, in the U.S. economy, 
mechanical adjustments to both tax brackets, uh, social security benefits and all that. They're adjusted by uh, the cost of living index from the year prior, meaning that 1st of Jan households simply get uh, an improvement of their spending power situation um, as a consequence of these benefits and these tax brackets being uh, hiked by uh, the cost of living from the year prior. If we look at uh, new orders, to take an example from the ISM index on the, on the next chart, uh, as you can see, the dark blue line here is an example of a seasonal adjustment factor that is out of sync with what we've typically seen uh, in the ISM uh, surveys. So when the seasonal adjustment factor is low in this chart, it means that uh, spreadsheets aid the final number uh, higher in the ISM survey. So be aware of that. Uh, the numbers looked prettier than they actually were here in uh, in January. Uh, and it particularly holds for the non-farm payrolls report. If you look at the non-farm um, revisions on the next page, I've conducted a very simple study um, on the seasonal adjustment factors of the non-farm payroll uh, number. And the light blue bar is the number that was reported. If we turn off the outlier filter in the so-called X13 ARIMA seats uh, methodology to adjust for seasonality, used by both the Bureau of Labor Statistics, used by the Institute of Supply Management and all of those, uh, we get a number that is 100K lower. Um, if you adjust for the lack of seasonal layoffs post the pandemic, you get to a number that is even lower for January. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia at Super AI Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Rao Pal, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, Edward Snowden, and over 150 others will join the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a week from June 3rd through June 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit www.realvision.com forward slash super AI for 20% off tickets with the code realvision or click below. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My point here is, if we look at the next page, um, the actual payroll number in January, if you set aside seasonal adjustments, was at roughly minus 2.6 million jobs. That's not out of the ordinary. That's what we typically see in January due to seasonal layoffs uh, after the um, uh, Christmas season. The problem is that the layoffs are a tap smaller than they typically are um and what uh, or rather they're a tad smaller than what they've typically been through uh, before the pandemic while the seasonal adjustments uh even increase uh, the numbers on top of that the point is here that the january job report was not as strong as reported um and what we've seen lately is obviously a repricing of 
uh, both the growth outlook, but also the interest rate outlook from the Federal Reserve as a consequence of all of these strong numbers. So what could drive developments in interest rates into the spring, given these seasonal patterns that I've just described? Well, tomorrow, uh, on Friday, we get the annual revisions to um, both the seasonality factors in the inflation index, but also to the uh, weights uh, for each and every cost category in the inflation index. And I'd like to highlight the developments um, in consumption patterns in 2022. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics will use 2022 to recalibrate the inflation index for 2024. And what you see on the chart here is that food consumption dropped in volume terms while we had um, an increase in the uh, expenditures uh, within services, also relative to goods. So this essentially means that housing will be more relevant in the inflation index when they update it. Uh, it means that services will be more important than goods uh, on a relative basis compared to 2023. So is that a positive or a negative? Uh, well, if we look at it from an inflation perspective first, uh, when housing increases slightly uh, in significance in the inflation index, it basically means that the probability of inflation veining further from here is good, or that the probability is high, rather. Um, because of lacks in the way that uh, housing costs are measured in, um, in the inflation index, we typically see in between 12 and 18 months of lag between actual new leases and um, the ultimate timing of uh, the disinflation seen in new leases in, uh, in the inflation index published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So I actually think this is net-net uh, something that speaks in favor of rate cuts through the spring. If we look at the uh, actual numbers, um, I have a table on, on the actual spending uh, uh, changes in 2022. Healthcare, energy, and uh, clothing and footwear will be sort of reweighted up in reweight up in the inflation index, while used cars, food, uh, transportation services will be um, reweighed down. Um, net net, I think this is dovish, um, and we'll get the final numbers um, delivered by the Bureau of Labor Statistics tomorrow. So keep an eye out for those. Um, essentially, what I'm trying to say here is that I think interest rates will have to drop, uh, both as a consequence of January numbers being a bit too elevated due to seasonal patterns, and also due to these adjustments to the inflation index. So let's try to become as concrete as we can. Um, the liquidity outlook uh, and the outlook for interest rates, um, both of those outlooks obviously matter for uh, risk allocations and for, for trading. Uh, and when we look at the liquidity outlook first, it looks very benign uh, for the uh, US economy over the course of, uh, of Q1 and, and early Q2. The reason is that the uh, so-called reverse repo facility at the Federal Reserve is being depleted right now. Money markets funds, funds pull out money from the Fed. They invest in bills, uh, meaning that deposits in the real world uh, are created um, during the process. Um, the Federal Reserve has told us as soon as this overnight reverse repo facility is close to zero, they'll end the quantitative tightening um, program. To me, that means that the March meeting is, is very live in terms of taking that decision. So maybe we do not get a rate cut in March, but we'll get uh, a tapering decision to the QT program, which is pretty bullish for risk assets. So a benign liquidity scenario with interest rates cuts upcoming through the spring, 
it's, it sounds like a pretty decent cocktail, and it is uh, when we look at it empirically. When we look at liquidity versus the S&P 500, first of all, we have an almost picture-perfect correlation between the yearly changes of the two. Uh, and as I uh, told you, uh, we should expect liquidity to increase, say, 10 to 20% on the year uh, through the spring here, meaning that um, there is a pretty decent probability of, of new highs in the um, the S&P 500 in particular in um, in stocks with a high sensitivity to this liquidity story. And I've made a heat map of, of such um, uh, indices with a high uh, sort of liquidity sensitivity. And at the very uh, top of the leaderboard, you have the NASDAQ uh, index. So basically technology. Uh, I'm heavily invested in that uh, narrative myself. Um, I know Raul is as well. And it basically rhymes with what we see in the economic cycle and in the liquidity cycle right now. If we look at how interest rates typically behave, uh, given the increase in liquidity, um, I think it's relatively safe to say that uh, the yield curve will steepen in such a scenario. Uh, so on the next page, we have a chart showing the yearly change in liquidity, dark blue, versus the spread between five-year and two-year interest rates in the dollar curve. Um, so essentially... When we see a liquidity increase, it's typically a sign that interest rates will be cut. Uh, but it it is also a sign um, for sort of longer term interest rates, in this case, five-year interest rates, uh, to move up relative to the front end. Uh, and therefore, the curve steepener in the dollar curve looks very attractive here as a consequence as well. So all of this in relation to the Fed outlook, uh, I mean, We've basically talked about how they can take a decision on QT already by uh, March as a consequence of these liquidity trends and as a consequence of the overnight reverse repo facility. But what about inflation? I mean, now that the cycle is is improving again, uh, at a time where inflation is not back at, at target levels, is that an issue from an inflation perspective? Uh, in the last special edition of Steno Signals, uh, we talked about how the um, distortions to global supply chains could um, lead to a revival of inflation uh, due to higher shipping costs, uh, both due to issues in the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, but also due to issues in the Panama Canal. But let's have a brief update on um, the actual developments in shipping space. If we look at freight rates over the past couple of weeks, we've actually seen a, um, a fading trend um, in the shipping routes between China and Europe, and those have been sort of center of attention due to the issues in the Red Sea. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But we still see increases in the shipping rates between, um, say, Shanghai and LA, for example. So between China and the U.S., um, so there's a discrepancy here. And why is that? Well, if we listen to Maersk, oh, so the biggest Danish shipping company, um, they uh, posted their uh, annual report earlier. And 
they basically said that they saw better demand side in the U.S. relative to Europe. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we see this divergence in um, in trends in, in freight rates now with shipping rates towards uh, the U.S. still picking up relative to, um, to uh, Eurozone equivalents. And I think that's a strong hint that uh, the U.S. economy is performing better than peers. But we're still stuck in a situation with very few ships in the Red Sea and very few ships in the Panama Canal. This uh, um, fresh example here is an example of the amount of activity in the Red Sea relative to usual levels. So 100% is, is sort of a typical level. And we're, uh, as you can see, far below that 60% down or so, um, meaning that the Houthis, uh, this um, group from Yemen, they've still managed to sort of um, wreak havoc with supply chains through the Red Sea. And we know that the Panama Canal is still not functioning at full capacity either. Uh, so we have shipping distortions uh, despite this slight uh, veining trend in, in freight rates. But we're currently helped a lot by seasonality uh, in terms of global shipping. Um, that's the final chart I want to show you today. Uh, if we look at typical patterns of when goods are shipped from China to the US, uh, we're basically at local lows or yearly lows uh, here in February. This is the month with the sort of least activity uh, in shipping space from, from China to the US. Uh, as you can see, as soon as we approach March and April, we get a, a, a sort of a cyclical pickup from, from seasonal patterns uh, in the actual shipping activity. And if we get to March, April without um, any improvement in the situation in the Red Sea or in the Panama Canal, currently that would be my base case that we don't get that improvement uh, before March, April. We should probably expect prices on on um, on various uh, shipping routes to to increase again, um, and ultimately, I think this is currently the biggest risk to the whole cutting cycle narrative that we get um, increasing freight rates, increasing uh, price patterns uh, in goods imported via sea, uh, and an ultimate spillover to consumer price inflation as a consequence. So. Ultimately, how do we trade all of this? Uh, this is a snippet from um, our current portfolio. Uh, we're long tips, so rising inflation relative to interest rates. Uh, we're short euro dollar, um, basically on a bet on on a relative stronger, uh, a relatively stronger demand development in the U.S. And as you can see, we're long XLK, uh, the technology bet. Uh, we're also long the curve steepener STPU and a couple of other trades. Um, so it all rhymes with this improving cycle, but we still need to be aware of the risk of uh, an acceleration in the price of goods as a consequence of this reacceleration of the economic cycle in the US. And that is one of the things that I'll uh, keep on tracking over the course of uh, the early spring uh, in this show. With those words, um, I'd like to say thank you for watching Steno Signals, uh, and I'll be back again next week with another macro update. Remember that this is a window into my thinking on macro and uh, how to trade it. I cannot guarantee that you have the same risk appetite or risk horizon as I have, but what I can guarantee you is that I'll be back week in and week out with the show Steno Signals here at Real Vision. Thank you for watching. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network 
to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.